said there the sainted millions will never say goodbye. I'll be thankful to be able to say hello. My nanny Ruth Cook want to be good to say hey to old George Penner. George, you'd be proud of how the Chargers are doing this year. Amen. If you can watch from heaven, I know he is. So. Turn in your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 6. Any of y'all like that gas station TV? Or does it annoy you? It annoys me other than one aspect of it. I like the word of the day. You see, Dr. Craig and I will quiz each other about a word of the day, and I asked him Tuesday, I said, oh, Dr. Craig, I got a good word of the day for you. Nefarious. He's like, ooh, that is a good one. It means wicked or evil. If America had a word of the day, yeah, a word of the year, the century, it'd be turmoil. Turmoil. No better word accurately describes the times in which we live. Think about just over the last few weeks. Hurricane Michael. Every weekend there's murders in Chicago. Not to Memphis, our own hometown of Memphis. What's going on in Covington? Washington, D.C., say no more. Kavanaugh, Antifa, the economy, horrific and unspeakable acts. Read of a grandmother who baked her grandchild in the oven this week. Russian collusion. The Saudi reporter that was killed and dismembered, Pastor Brunson. Our world is just rife with war, terrorism, crime, conflict, and drama, drama, drama. Your social media feeds are overrun with it. Closer to home, there's conflict and drama in our churches. There's denominational divides, racial divides, theological wars in our workplaces. Now we have a new term, workplace violence, shootings in our homes. Dr. Tony Evans said the divorce rate is such you'd think most folks were married by the Secretary of Defense instead of the Justice of Peace. The worst is right here. The pain, the anxiety, the depression, the regret, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the failures that eat each and every one of us alive. It's like a war going on within. Any of you feel like there's a war going on within your own body? And so we've developed innumerable forms of escapism. Drugs, alcohol, entertainment, immorality, hedonism. Well, you just need some positive thinking. You know who will tell you that. You need some self-help. The question was once asked, if you could choose what you want most in life, what would you ask for? You know what the number one answer was? Peace. 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 Yet turmoil rules the day. Why? Y'all know the old song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? I thought, you know, the answer to why is because we're looking for peace in all the wrong places. I read a Psychology Today, April 2011 article entitled, World Peace, One Joke at a Time. And a rabbi, a Muslim, and a Baptist pastor were doing a laugh and peace tour. And this was a quote from the article. The three of us believe humor may be the quickest way to world peace. Now that Baptist pastor should have known better. 
Because we plaster peace everywhere except right here. And the reason is because we don't know where to find it. We don't even know what peace is. And the Bible is clear that peace is a person. If you do not get anything else that I hear today, you're going to leave with this. That peace is a person. And you don't see it any better than in Judges 6 where God reveals a new name. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace for an age-old problem, turmoil. Oh, that our country would learn this lesson, that our churches would learn our, this lesson, that our families would learn this lesson, that Buffy Cook would learn this lesson, that you would learn this lesson, dear sir or dear ma'am, that we must come to know God as Jehovah Shalom. So we're going to look at its revelation origination and appropriation. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Judges chapter 6. We'll read verses 1 to 24. and get my old eyes settled on this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And we then read, that the Israelites had obeyed everything God told them, right? <laughs> you have not obeyed my voice. An angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beaten out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. 
And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. And Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. To this day it still stands. The Word of God, the people of God, preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, I know that each and every person in here desperately needs to hear this message. But Father, there's some that need to hear this more than anybody in here. Because Father, their life is turmoil. And they need peace. Father, I pray that you would teach each and every one of us that Father, we were looking for peace in all the wrong places if we look for it outside of Jehovah Shalom and outside of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray you would give us minds to think well on your word. Father, I pray you would give us eyes to see truths from it and ears to hear truths from it. But Father, that it would then go down through our body to our hands and our feet that Father, we would apply this word and we would walk out of here and we would be at peace with you and we would be at peace with ourselves and at peace with one another. And I ask this now in the greatest name there is, that of Jesus himself. Amen. So first, Jehovah Shalom, the revelation. It's a little context. In Joshua, God's people, the Israelites, were obedient, worshiping, and victorious. Judges finds them the exact opposite disobedient, idolatrous, and defeated. And if you read the book of Judges, two recurring phrases throughout the book tell us of the sign of the times. Eight times we read the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Twice towards the end of the book we read, in those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now can I ask you before we get to that, would you to characterize America as that. The people of America do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Would you characterize America as everybody just does what's right in his own eyes? Then this is a good word for us. Amen. So there's a fourfold cycle that repeats itself seven times in the book of Judges. First is apostasy, which means that the people fell away from God. And you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't let His people just fall away from Him. He disciplines them. Praise the Lord, He brings us back through discipline. And so He chastises or disciplines them. Third is that they would pray or plead for God to deliver them. And then fourth, God would send a judge to deliver. So when we think of judge, think of this as a military leader. It's not a judge like Judge Judy on TV that's hearing a case. This is a military leader, like a general. And so five reasons are stated in the book why they have this cycle that goes over and over and it goes back to those two preceding phrases. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. One, they were disobedient. God told them, drive the people out of the land and they just let them stay there. He told them, you'll have no other gods before me. They were idolatrous. He told them, do not intermarry with these other people. They did it anyway. He told them, listen to me. They didn't. He told them, stay with me. They fell away from the Lord. And so at the start of the fifth cycle, we now find Israel. So I'm going to give you three things under the revelation. The first is the problem. 
So look at verses 1 to 6. That's the problem. Look at verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. So this is the fifth cycle. You know what that is? It's the definition of insanity. Do you know the definition of insanity? Do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. They're on cycle five. Don't you think they would have woke up and got the clue that, hey, we might need to stop falling away from the Lord? One person said, in this we see the schizophrenic nature of Israel's spiritual personality. So verse 1 is apostasy. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They fell away from Him. And verse, or the second part of verse 1 is then the chastisement or discipline. The Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. The principle is clear. Turn to Isaiah chapter 57. We'll read a couple of cross-references. But you need these. There's a clear principle in Scripture. Disobedience disrupts peace. Isaiah 57, 20-21 The wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. Here it is. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So disobedience disrupts peace. Look at Isaiah 48, 18. Flip back just a few chapters. The other principle is that obedience brings peace. Isaiah 48, 18, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. And peace accompanies righteousness. That's another principle and you can find that in James 3, 18. So a little background on Midian and Israel. There was no love loss between them. They had a colorful history. In Numbers 25, Israel yoked herself to the God of the Midianites and 24,000 died in a plague because the Lord's anger was kindled over that. In Numbers 31, God sends the Israelites to avenge those who had died because of the Midianites and they killed every male and female child-rearing age of the Midians. And so now Judges 6 finds the Midianites with the upper hand and about to have a field day. And so look at the field day that they're having in verses 2 and following. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian. The people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, they would come up against them. They would encamp against them, devour the produce of the land, leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. They would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts. Though they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. So the Midianites would come in like locusts at harvest time, steal all the crops and their possessions right off into the sunset, retreating to their own land. In fact, it was three different groups of folks if you look at verse 3. So they literally were coming from all directions. And if they were riding on camels meant they were very hard to overtake and pursue. You can't outrun a camel, can you? That meant there were many in number. They were like locusts. And a camel at that time, it was the best military technology. So guess what? They come in, they steal all your stuff. And guess what? You have no hope of regaining any of it. And so the result, look at verse 6. Israel was brought very low. That word in the Hebrew means to be slackened or feeble, depressed, brought low, dried up like a, a vine. And so the threefold result, think about from a national standpoint. Did they have any security? No. Were there any cash crops for the economy? 
It's like a seven-year Great Depression. They were disgraced. They were hiding themselves in their food in dens and caves. And then from a, famil uh, from a family standpoint, their crops were devoured. They didn't have anything to eat. They took their livestock and their beasts of burden. They had no food, no money, no plows, and no cars. Nowhere to do or go anywhere. Now how would you feel? Imagine if Iran came and overtook America for seven years. Imagine ISIS came and overtook America for seven years. And every time, Marty, that you made one week's worth of wage, as soon as you made it, then somebody from ISIS would sweep into your house, steal all your money, take everything out of your pantry, take your car that you had worked hard to get, load up in it all their stuff, and they would drive off into the sunset. And then next week, it would happen again and again and again. Imagine how crushed in spirit you would be. Dr. Spurgeon said that the Lord does not permit His children to sin successfully. And He's not going to allow Israel to sin successfully here. And can I tell you that there's coming a time in which He will not allow America to sin successfully anymore. And as far as application, think about this. One, the Israelites were suffering a lack of peace at many levels. And the reason is they were looking for peace in all the wrong places. And as I've said, does that describe America? Are we at turmoil and chaos at many different levels as a nation, as individuals, as families, as churches, as communities? The problem is, brothers and sisters, we're looking for peace in all the wrong places. The Democrats ain't going to bring peace. And the Republicans ain't going to bring peace. They're so stupid that both sides of them are now telling each other, just go out and one or the other is eating food. You just walk up and stick your finger in their food, punch them, call them every kind of name. Brothers and sisters, we're looking for peace in all the wrong places. It ain't Obama and it ain't Trump that is going to bring this country peace. It is Jesus Christ. Amen. As long as we keep looking for peace in all the wrong places, it's going to be turmoil and chaos and it's only going to get worse. Second, they misplaced the focus of their peacelessness. What or who was the problem in their mind? The Midianites. Wrong. I bet God would have said, here, take this thing right here, it's called a mirror. Now look at it. You're the reason. You're the problem. Can the same be said of America? I look on the TV and I hear people saying, well, it's a social problem. We ain't got enough daddies or we ain't got enough mamas. Well, it's a political problem. We ain't got enough people voting Democrat or Republican. Well, it's a national problem. Well, it's a financial problem. Well, that's better and we're still in the same hot mess. The problem is spiritual. That's why we have no peace. The Word of God is clear. Disobedience equals chaos. Obedience equals peace and there's no obedience by and large. And I think if it were not for the select few like I'm looking at right here in America that are trying to follow the Lord and trying to repent and crying out to Him, God would have already said, and been done with this place. Third, God punishes nations for sin with turmoil. 
2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name... Oh, you say you're a Christian? Well then do this. Humble yourself. Cry out. Turn from your wicked ways. That's what everybody wants to leave out. What God's interested in is in America repenting of her sins, turning away from them and turning back to God, then we'll have peace. And fourth, can I tell you that peace ain't a guarantee in the Christian life? Just because you become a Christian don't mean everything's just going to be rosy and rainbows and Skittles. It ain't going to happen. But can I tell you that if chaos and turmoil comes into your life, then what you need to do is you need to get the mirror out. And you need to do a little self-examination. Because if Israel would have got the mirror out and done a little self-examination, they'd have quickly figured out that the problem wasn't the Midianites, the problem was who? Them. And you know when God finally, as we talked about this morning in Psalm 7, it says against the wicked He has His bow bent. You know the one time in my deer stand? Jimmy, when's the one time in your deer stand you had your bow bent? When you're ready to shoot and kill it. God's bow is bent towards the wicked. Can I tell you, glory, hallelujah, He led off of the bow against me at the age of 29 after I finally said, all this turmoil and chaos and drama in my life, you know what i got to do? i got to take a long, hard look in the mirror and i got to realize, you know who the problem is? Buffy Cook. I had no peace in O because I had no in O Jesus. Alright, so that's the problem. Look at the prophet. Verses 7 and 10. Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midians, the Lord sent, what's it say? A businessman? A teacher? A financial investor? Joe Osteen to give you some self-help pop psychology. It said he sent a prophet of the Lord. Twice we read that the people cried out. That word is akin to the Greek krazo, which is to shriek like a raven. They cried out like a bird. Cried out in pain. And look at what it says. They cried out on account of what? The Midianites. But we've already said what was the real reason they had no peace. Now perhaps there were articles in the Hebrew Street Post and the Jerusalem Times. Those things don't exist, by the way. If you get the thing. The Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. Well, this is why there's no peace in the land. Maybe there were bloggers that said this is why. Again, there was no internet. There were no bloggers. But there are plenty of bloggers in America. This is why we have no peace. Maybe they even had rabbis at the Jewish Times Conference stand up and say, this is why. I wonder how many were looking to God and His Word for the answer. God said, drive them out. They had not done it. God said, no other gods before me. You know what no means in Hebrew? No. He said, no intermarriage. Well, God, that's not fair. We want to marry with these. I said none. He promised blessing for obedience and cursing for disobedience and they wanted the exact opposite. Can I tell you, brothers and sisters, the answer to every problem you've got, and I don't know what your problem is, but can I tell you that the answer to every problem you've got is right here. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
Ronald Reagan once said that the answer to all of man's problems are found within the covers of the Bible. Oh, that we had somebody, and I don't care if it's Democrat or Republican, that would stand up and be the president of our country again and say, all the answers for America are found right here. Oh, that we could get someone like that. Well, you need to run. No, I ain't. <laughs> you know the only answer to their lack of peace? It was here. The only answer to their true source of peace? It was here, but I bet you they weren't looking. So what does God do? He sends a prophet to help Israel diagnose a problem. And what does He say? Does He say, well, here's my opinion? Does He say, here's some positive thinking? He says, thus says the Lord, I led you, I brought you, I delivered you, I drove them out, I gave you this land, I even gave you my word and said this, but... But you have not obeyed my voice. God says your world on every level is in turmoil. There ain't no peace in your life anywhere. You know why? Stop looking at the Midianites and look in the mirror. You're the reason. You've not obeyed my voice. I wonder how many Christians today God would say the same to. Well, Lord, I don't have any peace in my life. I'm bitter over this. I can't forgive this person. I got this going on and this going on. And he would say, you ain't obeyed my voice. As Vody Bauckham would say, if you can't say amen, say ouch. So that's the problem in the prophet. Then let's look at the person. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth under a tree. While Gideon's beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites, the angel of the Lord pays a visit to Gideon. Now this ain't Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Can I tell you, this is Jesus Himself. You say, now pastor, how am I supposed to believe that? Well, look at verse 14. And the Lord... What is that, Susan? It's all caps, Lord. And Jehovah turned to him and said. You could also read it like this. And Jesus turned to him and said. Now how is it that Jesus as a grown man appears to Gideon here before he ever became a baby in Bethlehem? I don't know. But God can do whatever God wants to do. Amen? Amen. But that's the truth. This is what's called a theophany. It's a pre-incarnate Jesus. And so Jesus finds Gideon beating out wheat in the wine press, which is be a very small amount. Why? To hide it from the Midianites. Now what do you think about that? You think he's being wise? On the one hand, I think he's being pretty wise. If they're coming and stealing all your food, why don't you get down in the cellar and beat out the wheat and you at least have a little bit to eat on, right? But is it also a picture of faithlessness? And so I think an application for us is circumstances can destroy even the greatest of faith's peace and cause them to falter. And so the angel of the Lord, Jesus greets Gideon with a hearty, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Herein we find two of the greatest promises and principles of all of Scripture. First, the promise, the Lord is with you. Do you feel alone? 
Any of you in here feel alone at times? You're never alone. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He is with you always. You're never alone. Is that not a great promise? Second, look at the principle. Almighty man of valor. Is that sarcasm? You think Jesus is just being sarcastic? I think what Jesus has got on is this right here. He's got on his purple sunglasses. Because you see, you and I look at Gideon we see him beating out wine and wine press. We go, well, that's a little braveless dude. Jesus says, Oh, mighty man of valor. Can I tell you when God looked down at Abraham, he had no kids. He said, you're the father of a multitude. He looked at Peter. Y'all think he was a rock? He sunk like one when he's walking on the water with Jesus because he lost faith. Jesus looks at him and says, Oh, Peter, you're a rock. And can I tell you, I don't care what other people say about you. You stop listening to what other people say about you and you get your purple sunglasses on and your Bible out, young people, and you listen to what God says about you. God can't use no 16-year-old. Well, He brought the Savior of the world in, Bob. Don't you ever let anybody tell you you can't be used. Oh, well, you've got a disabling condition. God can't use you. Fooey on that. You got a mouth, and you got hands, and you got feet. And you can shout Jesus down the street. Praise God that the world doesn't determine what Buffy Cook is, that the purple sunglasses of Jesus determines what I am and what you are. But now maybe you, like me, are like Gideon. Because there's the promise and the principle and then there's the pouting. Any of, maybe y'all aren't like me and y'all don't pout. Do y'all pout? Because I pout. Well, now, God, I know you told me to be the pastor down there, but this person don't like me, and Lord, this is wrong, and this is hard, and this is that. You're the pastor. Well, Lord, I know you told me to make this relationship work. And I know you told me to be the peacemaker. And, well, it's difficult. And as God say, does he just come up to Gideon? Oh, poor little Gideon, you powder. We'll get there in a minute, but look at Gideon's pouting. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us. Well, God already promised that He would be with them, did He not? Well, why has all this happened? Don't we sometimes needlessly question God? I don't think it's necessarily a sin to question God, but there's times in which we needlessly question Him. Amen? Well, where are all His wonderful deeds? How quickly we forget what God has done in our life. Amen? Fourth, he says, the Lord has forsaken us. Can I tell you, you better be very careful what you accuse God of. And he says, well, the Lord has given us into the hand of Midian. Congratulations, Gideon. You finally got something right. He has given you into the hand of Midian because of the way y'all acting. And look at verse 14. Now, does Jesus come up and go, oh, Gideon, yeah, I know you're, you're pouting. You know, I'm 
so sorry. Let me tell you about, and then let me explain to you that I hadn't left y'all and why, where I've been and this and that. He don't even acknowledge Gideon's pouting, does he? He says, the Lord turned to him and said, go save. Don't I send you? So Gideon, what's he do? Starts pouting again. He pulls a Moses. He says, well, I'm the least in my clan in Manasseh. And I'm the least in my father's house. Notice Jesus didn't say, how was I so dumb? Gideon, I forgot that your clan is the least. And I forgot you're the youngest in your father's house. How stupid of me. Does he say that? He sure don't. He says, but I'll be with you. And you'll strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, Gideon, if now I found favor in your eyes and show me a sign, it is you who speak with me. Let me ask you, what do you think of Gideon's request for a sign? On the one hand, does he rightly want assurance? I mean, if I just said, well, I think the Lord's calling me to Africa to go live there. I better get full assurance that that's what God wants me to do. Because as I'll close with, the most dangerous place to be is outside the will of God. Amen? But he wrongly exhibits weak faith because three times in this chapter alone he asks for a sign. Yet God graciously gives him one in verse 18. He says, you go get this present and I'll stay here. Praise the Lord when we're faithless, he's faithful. Amen? And so Gideon brings a picnic, if you will. He goes and he gets this young goat and an ephah for flour. Now let me ask you, we know the context. They ain't got nothing to eat. Now if you wanted to go get a goat to prepare for the Lord, which one would you get? The oldest, toughest goat out there because guess what? You need the young one for milk and to make new goats. But does Gideon do that? He goes and gets the best. Can I ask you, what are you giving God? You giving Him the leftovers? You giving Him the oldest, toughest goat out there on the farm? And I ain't just talking about your money. We just had business meeting. Can I tell you that as a church, I'm very proud of us as a church. Even though we've had a drop in some members, you folks are still giving. And I think it was $15,000 somewhere in that magnitude we've talked about as a church already this year. We've given away to missions. So can I tell you I'm very proud of us as that? But are you giving your best when it comes to serving the Lord? Are you giving Him an old, tough goat? And then He gives Him an effort of flour. That's 35 to 45 pounds. He's beating out wheat in a wine press to get a bag of flour and he's given the Lord this. That is a huge lesson for us of what he gave to the Lord to honor him. Alright, and so the sign. What does that mean? The fire. Turn with me to Leviticus 9.24. First, it signifies God's power and God's presence. So first, God's power. Leviticus 9.24. Let me see. I'm going to have to get on my horse and go. I'm about to get close to running out of time here. Leviticus 9, 24. 
And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, it says they said, well, that was quite a sight, didn't it? No. It says they shouted and fell on their faces. Why? Because they had seen God's power. And in Deuteronomy 4.24, it says that He is an all-consuming fire. So when Gideon saw this, and if Gideon knew his Bible, then he knew that basically God was telling him, I am powerful and I am present. And what did he tell Gideon? Your power, oh mighty man of valor. Well, I'm not a mighty man of valor. You're right, but I am. And you're going to strike Midian as one man. How could I ever do that, Lord? Because my power, and I'm about to show it to you. And His presence, what did He say? The Lord is what? With you. And then do not I send you? And instantly the angel departs. And then the angels, or God speaks from heaven. But only after, what does Gideon do? He basically says, I'm going to die because I now realize I saw God face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace, shalom be to you. Don't fear, you shall not die. And Gideon built an altar there and called it, The Lord is peace. So that's the revelation. Let's talk about the origination. I hope and pray I, thus far I've made it abundantly clear. Judges 6 and the rest of Scripture teaches peace is a person. And that person is Jehovah Shalom. It's Jesus. You ain't going to hear it on the talk shows tomorrow morning. You ain't going to see it on tonight's broadcast. You won't find it on your social media feed. You won't hear Miss America talk about, well, I think world peace means we all need to accept Jesus. But can I tell you that we, if we want to stop the turmoil and the drama in our life, we better know where our peace originates from. And so what? The word Shalom, which is peace... It's probably one of the most well-known Hebrew words, but we don't really understand it. There's no single English word that communicates all of it, which means wholeness and healthiness and soundness and peace, all of these things together. Whereas Webster just describes it as a state of tranquility or a pact or agreement to end hostilities. Or the Urban Dictionary defines it as a goodbye and a greeting. Well, is it a goodbye or a greeting? It's... And in the Urban Dictionary, I found this little tidbit. I thought this was very telling. It says that it's a brief interlude between wars. That's peace. Lloyd Corey said, Peace is the brief, glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. Shalom is a person. Peace is a person. And it's two kinds of peace. Peace with God and peace of God. Tony Evans tells the story of a time in which they had a paint a picture of peace contest. $250,000 prize. Here were the two entries. The first was a serene lake. And it's just calm and it's beautiful. And it's multicolored flat, uh, leaves on the trees. And the sun is glistening off the top of the water. That was the first one. Sound pretty peaceful to you? The second was a picture of a storm and roaring, raging waves, and the trees were bent double from the force of the wind. And down in the left corner is a little bird. And its mouth's open, and it's singing a song, David. And there's a faint light shining down on that bird. Guess who won the contest? The second one. You know why? Because Tony Evans says being at peace means you're at rest, even when everything else will 
around you seems to be all wrong. How can you have that kind of peace? Because you've got the peace with God and you've got the peace of God. So why is peace a person? Well, can I tell you two reasons? The person of Christ, first, He's fully God. And if the Lord is peace, if God is peace and Jesus is God, then Jesus is peace. Amen? And Isaiah 9, 6 bears that out. He is the Prince of Peace. Second is the work of Christ. He's a prophet, priest, and king. As far as a prophet, his mission. If you remember what the angel said at his birth announcement. And peace on earth. In Hebrews 5, 5 to 10, he's of the order of Melchizedek. And through his priesthood, he brings us peace. As king, he's the Messiah and he's going to bring in a thousand years of peace. As Dave Ramsey says, remember there's ultimately only one way to financial peace and that's to walk daily with the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus. And that's true of peace, period. So how is Jesus our peace? Let me give you four ways. First, He is our Jehovah Shalom, our peace with God. God and man are not BFFs. They ain't BAEs either. God and man are enemies. They're at war with one another outside of a saving relationship through Christ. And as a result, they are children of wrath. And so their lives are perpetual turmoil, chaos, and drama. So who did God make as the one mediator between Himself and man? Christ. It ain't Muhammad. It ain't Buddha. It's Jesus. And so listen to what Romans 5.1 says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have peace with God, and then we have the peace of God. I want you to finish these sentences. I'm ready to throw in the... I'm a bundle of... I'm at my wits. I'm resigning from the human race. Y'all got 100%. Y'all most uptight folks I've ever seen in my life. That's just old-timey sayings I've heard all my life. But the point is, the upright can get uptight. We can have peace with God, but not the peace of God. Look at Gideon. Did he have peace with God? He sure didn't have peace of God at the time. And so listen to Colossians 3, 15. I should have kept my finger there. No, good thing Ephesians is so worn down I can find Colossians in a hurry. Colossians 3, 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Third, the Lord is our peace with one another. I told Marty one Saturday morning, Will Durant, Lessons in History, said of the last 3,421 years of recorded history, only 268 have seen no war. I would say it probably ain't even that many. We fight over everything and anything, don't we? From the White House to God's house. And even Christians get in on that. Walls and hate rule the day, don't they? The only thing that breaks down the walls is Christ. The only thing that overcomes hate is what? Love. Jesus begets love and love begets peace. And then forth, the Lord Jesus is our peace with our Sales. You ever feel like a war is going on inside of you? We already talked about that earlier and you said, yeah, you know why? Because there is. 
What did Paul say? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. The only thing that stops that internal war is Jesus. Alright, so Jehovah Shalom, the revelation, the origination, finally the appropriation. Warren Wiersbe said the world bases its peace on its resources, but God bases his peace on a relationship. Jesus is Jehovah Shalom, and only he slays the three-headed dragon that threatens our peace. Any of, you, any of you ever watched The Hobbit or read The Hobbit? Bilbo Baggins and his friends finally find the riches and almost immediately the mountain starts to rumble because Smog, the evil dragon, has been provoked. And Tolkien says this, it does not do to leave a dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. Can I tell you we live near a three-headed dragon called the world, the devil, and ourselves, our flesh? And when it comes to our flesh, it's a three-headed dragon itself. First is the dragon of disobedience. Man's been at odds with Almighty since day one. Technically day six, but if you get the joke. What does it say in Isaiah 53, 5? Our chastisement was put on Him that we would have what? Peace. So have you ever appropriated what Jesus did on the cross for you? The bad news is the wicked have no peace. The good news is Jesus came to bring peace. And my news is, in my own life as a testimony, is that shortly after I was saved, the verse that meant the most to me was John 16, 33. That now I had peace for the first time in my life. And so, if you want to slay the dragon of disobedience, you've got to believe, receive, and repent. Second is the dragon of distress. You can slay the first dragon when you get born again, but guess what? Does that mean the battle's over? No. Are you stuck on sin cycle? Get it, not spin cycle? You being thrown all about, agitated in your life because like the Israelites, you're just in this version of insanity. You sin and you cry out to the Lord and He delivers you and so then you just sin again, the same old sin over and over and you have no victory in your life. Do you think that's what the abundant life is that Jesus came to give us? That you would be defeated because of any sin? A lot of us are stuck on sin cycle. You don't slay that dragon, you better pray. Cry out to God just like the Israelites did and then meditate on the Word of God. It'll slay the dragon. And then the third is the dragon of discord. Maybe you're at peace with God and in the most part have personal peace, but maybe you're at war with somebody. Any of you in here, without a show of hands, nod your head up, down, whatever, are you at war with somebody? Might be a fellow believer, a friend, family member, a foe. Do the hard work of peacemaking. That's what the New Testament calls us to. Romans 12, 18. If at all possible, live at peace with everybody. And maybe you're saying, well, pastor, I can't. You don't know what that other person's done to me. Well, you're right. I don't know what they've done to you. But I know when our Lord was hanging on the cross and His bones out of place and His back had been beat with a cat of nine tails that He hung there and He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And if our Jesus is the example of that, can forgive other people, you need to forgive folks in your own life. 
testimony of a man. I won't tell you much because I don't want it to be said because we're on Facebook Live. <coughs> but brothers and sisters, can I tell you, life is too short for the nonsense that we do. Life is too short for you to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness towards anybody. And definitely, as a Christian that believes in Christ, you have no reason to harbor bitterness or unforgiveness towards anybody. If He forgave you of all that He has forgiven you, and you're going to hold a thimble full of junk against somebody else, God help you. Because you might get what you deserve, not what you want. You say, well, I can't. And you're right, you can't, but He can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does all mean in the Greek? All. All. And that even means to forgive that person that mm, makes my blood boil. And to take that axe of forgiveness from Christ and chop down the tree of bitterness and the root of bitterness in my own life. Alright, in closing. C.S. Lewis once said a car is made to run on gas and it wouldn't run properly on anything else. Can I give you a testimony? I know that's true. When I try to fill up my dang truck with gas and it's a diesel. I was like, ow! As soon as I was down the road, I was like, what an idiot. I paid the price. He says, a car is made to run on gas and it would not run properly on anything else. Here's the application. Listen to what he continued to say. God designed the human race to run on what? Himself. He is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. He's the fuel our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. Listen to this. God cannot give us peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Can I tell you that if we went and we polled a thousand Christians in churches this morning across Tipton County, forget America, just across Tipton County, and I said on a scale of one to ten, ten being absolute peace and one being no peace, where are you at? What do you think would be the average? You think it'd be above five? Hello. I think it'd be below five. Might even be two or three. And can I ask you a very serious question? John 10 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life more abundantly. Brothers and sisters, if we have a peace rating of two out of ten, is that the abundant life that Jesus came to give us? then what's the problem? The problem is we're trying to run the car on everything but Jehovah Shalom. That's right. we got to pour Jehovah Shalom in our tanks every day. And quickly, I'm going to give you some ways to do that. They're not new. I've already mentioned them, but this one. Let your mind run on Jehovah Shalom. Romans 8, 6 says to set your mind on Him and you'll have peace. Remember, Mr. David, when we sang that old spiritual? 
I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Next is let your lips run on Jehovah Shalom. Share Christ. When's the last time you shared Christ? Maybe why there's so much turmoil in your life is because there's too many lost people in your life. Which is a good thing that you got lost people in your life, but you need to speak a saving relationship with Christ to them. It'd go a long way to bringing peace. Then your hands need to run on Jehovah Shalom. Seek peace. So much in America, this is, this is what we want to do. Oh, Maxine Waters says, you find a Republican, box them in the ear. The President says, you find a Democrat, box them in the ear. Jesus said, I don't care what they've done to you. You do this. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. Evil for evil is like the devil. Evil for good is what the dogs do. Good for good is what men do. But good for evil is what God does. We need our hands to be full of Jehovah Shalom. And we need to seek peace in every relationship that we've got. And then we need our hearts to run on Jehovah Shalom. You need to stay in Jesus. You need to abide in Him. He said, in me you will have peace. I mean, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I'm point very close. I think if, if it wouldn't be for the few people I might could reach through Facebook, I'm ready to shut her down. Because it don't bring me to abide in Jesus. It brings me to abide in a bunch of junk that I don't need to abide in. And I ain't got a Twitter. And some of you do. And I ain't got an Instagram. And some of you do. We need to get off that junk and get on our knees and get in this Word. We need to stay on Jesus. We might have a whole lot more peace if we did. And then our feet need to run on Jehovah Shalom. We need to step, walk in His peace every day. God's not going to give us peace apart from Himself. Get in the Israelites, discover that, and brothers and sisters. I would do well to discover that. You would do well to discover that. Our church would do well to discover that. And Lord, help us, our nation would do well to discover that. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I just thank you that you put it on mine and Jimmy's heart for this series on the names of God. Lord, it's been good. Hear Jimmy last week talk about, Lord, how you're our warrior. You're our Jehovah Sabbath. Lord, how we can know that you are our Adonai, our Master. Lord, that you are our Elohim, our Creator. And Lord, definitely our Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Lord, I look forward to the coming messages that you're going to give myself and Jimmy and that you're going to give each and every one of us because we need them. We need to know God's name. We need to know Him deeper. And Father, I know there's many of us here today that need to know you deeper is Jehovah Shalom. And so I pray that your word has not gone out to glorify me, that people can say, oh, that was a good word that I heard from Dr. Cook this morning. I can, I just pray every one of us leaves out of here and says, man, 
I heard a fresh word from the Lord today. Take these words, Father, root them to our heart. I pray we can't even get our mind off of them this week until we make everything in our life about Jehovah Shalom. And I pray, Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray if there is any person here today that doesn't know Jesus, Father, we know from your word that they're at war with you and they need peace with you. That only comes through the precious blood of Christ. And so I pray you would quicken their spirit to hear the word of your messenger and an old sinner would come home today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Mm -hmm. If I were to ask any of you, or Joe Blow on the street, where's the most dangerous place in America? How might you, how might Joe Blow respond? Maybe they'd say Chicago. Maybe they'd say Memphis. Maybe they'd say my family, my home life. Maybe they'd say in a car driving 100 miles an hour down the interstate. But can I tell you it's outside the will of God? Romans 5.10 says that all unsaved folks are enemies of God. And the wrath of God abides on them according to John 3.36. But God is not willing that any should perish. And so according to Romans 5.8, while we were still His enemies and sinners, He showed His love for us and sent His Son to die in our place. And the great news is that Romans 5.1 says an amazing transaction occurs when we put our faith in Christ, what He did on the cross, and He didn't just stay dead, that He rose three days later, and if we put our faith and trust in Him, we won't perish, but have everlasting life. We go from being His enemy and His wrath abiding on us to having peace with God. You've heard me say it before, no, N-O, Jesus equals N-O, peace. And if you K-N-O-W Jesus, then you K-N-O-W peace. And I can testify in my life. If you don't know Jesus today, truly, you've been jacking around saying you're a Christian, you can call yourself a cat. Just because you got four legs don't make you a cat. Just because you call yourself a Christian don't make you a Christian. Is there truly fruit and evidence in your life that you know the Lord? If not, then what you need to do is you need to believe today. Believe on Him. You need to receive His free gift of salvation and you need to repent of your sins, turn away from those things, and follow the Lord because today's the day of salvation. It ain't tomorrow. You might be dead tomorrow. Oh, preacher, you don't know. I've seen it happen countless times over the last five years. Jimmy can tell you. He might get called out on one tonight. And then he'll have to call me. And I'll say, I wonder if this person knew today they were going to die. And then if I were to ask you or Joe Blow on the street, where's the most miserable place to be in America? How would you respond? You might say the same thing. Chicago, Memphis, that's why I don't want to live down there. Maybe you say, my workplace. You ain't ever worked with them folks. Maybe you say, in a car with my wife or my husband, having to listen to them drone on and on, or the music they're listening to, jazz. Can I tell you, it's outside the will of God. The most miserable person in here is a backslidden Christian. Because they've got the peace with God, but they ain't got the peace of God. 
And so what you need to do is you need to repent, you need to return to the lover of your soul that he'll give you what you really need and what you really want, and that's peace. So as we stand this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, come receive Him today. If you've slidden away from the Lord, come down to the altar. If you just want to come this morning, there's some situation about which there ain't no peace. And you just want me or Jimmy, I don't care. We have to stay here the next 30 minutes. Jimmy will be on one side and I'll stand on one side and we'll pray with each of you, whoever it is, about whatever situation is going on. But don't leave out of here today at turmoil and war if what you really want is peace. Amen. So as we stand and sing, listen to the Lord this morning. Page 307. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that Thou bidst me come to Thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am.